Good morning. <clears throat> Our reading from today will be taken from the uh, second book of Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, and chapter 3, verses 18. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received the faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I've been to Winnipeg before, but I've never been here on a Sunday before. So it's really exciting for me to be, for, for to be here. And I know a lot of you because, I mean, we've got the families that come to stand and we've been building a relationship. And I'll tell you, one of the things that really has impressed me with, you know, the church here is you guys are a great group. God is working in your lives. The things that are going on in your lives and the what's being communicated to the church in Canada is people really look up to you. And so I hope that that's actually humbling for you to realize, wow, you know, God's at work in our lives and we're really, in many ways, being an example for others. Um, and we're all in this process of, of growth, and it's it's a great thing. A few things I'm just going to make, maybe a quick comment about um, Great Lakes. I took over the role of, of president in Great Lakes Bible College here in January. It's a new role for me. I'm still working alongside the Waterloo Church of Christ. Um, and my year so far has been a juggling act, trying to figure out how to do everything all at once. And it's been a good experience, though. And I'm excited about where we're going. I'm excited about the mission that we have in place. And we've got a great set of teachers. You guys know one of them. We're real blessed to have Paul in, in Waterloo. Uh, just a few other comments. With the back, we've got a bunch of material and information. You're free to take some of the information back there. I've got some fridge magnets 
um, that you're free to take. So anything on that table, you can take that. It's full of Bible verses. Paul actually made that up. Um, it's a great, again, you can take anything on that table. There's a pamphlet talking about the program, so I'll talk about that a little bit in the second, in the second class. Uh, if, again, if you have any questions, my card's on the table. I'd love to have a conversation with you about the program. If you have any questions you want to talk to me at all, I'm, I'm open to, to having that conversation. Um, and we've got the short course here starting in a week tomorrow in Weyburn. Paul will be teaching that course. If you want some more information, we've got the teacher right here. You guys can talk to Paul Burston about that. And yeah, it's going to start Sunday in, in Weyburn. Before we start, I'd like to pray. Um, so let's pray before we, we get into this message. Jesus, it's because of you that we exist. It's because of you that we have life. Without you, Lord, we're nothing. But we have life in you. You've called us to abide in you. And you've made these great promises that you will bear fruit in our lives. You've called us to use our hands to do good. You've called us to use our minds to think of ways to do good and our hearts to be completely devoted to you. Lord, we ask for your passion. We ask for a passion for you to do your will and your work in this world. We know there's many obstacles. There's many challenges. I'm thankful for today. We're thankful that we can be here. And Lord, let us listen to your word and learn what it is that you're teaching us so that we can live faithfully for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I think everybody here wants to grow. Is that right? That's, can I make that assumption? It's always bad when you start making, when you have a lesson and you make an assumption and nobody agrees with it. You know, the message is going to fall apart if nobody agrees with your assumption. So I'm starting off with an assumption. We want to grow. We want to grow in our faith. We want to grow in, we've always got plans. And no matter who you are, wherever you're at, and wherever you are, whether it's faith or not faith, you've got a plan, right? There are questions that drive you and you're seeking after some sort of development. You're trying to improve yourself. And so the question we want to ask is, how is that going about? How am I growing? What's my focus? How am I accomplishing that? When I was younger, I used to want to be a professional athlete. I, you know, I just watched a baseball player sign a $300 million contract a couple months ago. It's a lot of motivation to be a professional athlete. I mean, even in hockey, you make $60 million in your contract if you're a good player. If you're Connor McDavid, you make $100 million. Right? So it's, you know, I thought, man, that'd be great living that kind of life, having that kind of money. But you know something that separates the professional athletes that make that type of money and the ones who falter out? You know the type of effort that's required to be a professional athlete? You know, you gotta wake up at a certain time. You have a very regimented workout schedule. You have to eat a certain way. You can't just wake up and eat McDonald's and not work out and not go to practice and just show up to a game and do well. Do you know what would happen to an athlete if they took an off-season of no training, ate whatever they want, didn't go to training camp, and just showed up at the first game? Could you imagine the debacle that would be? It, would, it wouldn't be a debacle. It would, be, it would be, first of all, the coach would never get them on the, the, the field or the ice. But if they were allowed to go on there, it would become a ridiculed mess by everybody because they would be absolutely destroyed on the field. And everyone would realize that. So preparation is very important. Devotion is very important. We've got to have, for, to be a professional athlete, it takes, it takes everything. You've got to be completely, fully committed to that cause. Now, the illustration that I'm drawing and connecting with is obviously if in our faith, we just come on Sundays and we think that we can go and live faithfully, what do you think is going to happen? We're not prepared. We're not ready to do battle 
We're not ready as a soldier, as Paul will often use as that illustration. We're not equipped to go to battle. So we need to be equipped. And because we want to grow, we want to know how that growth is going to take place. This message is going to be about growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord and, our Lord and Savior. And I'm going to focus on those two terms, grace and knowledge. But I also want to bring that into the title about we're participating in the divine nature of God. So this passage that we're looking through, I'm just going to kind of walk through it. It's a powerful passage. I love the book of Second Peter. I'll make a quick comment about if you get into a lot of authors and, and writings about this book, a lot of people don't think Paul Peter wrote it. I don't, we don't buy that for a second. Part of the reason is you need to have a much bigger sample size to make these types of conclusions. And again, if you look into it, it just it doesn't hold a lot of weight as far as looking at an author like this. But Peter says some really powerful things, and he opens it up with saying, Simon Peter, a bondservant, a slave, and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And Peter tells about his identity. I think that's a good place to start. Who are we? Well, our identity is found in Jesus, and we're actually slaves of Jesus. Now, again, we live in a culture where that is a term that comes with a lot of baggage, and rightfully so, right? Slavery as we know it is an evil institution. All that Peter's trying to communicate is my ownership, I belong to Jesus. And you know why slavery is so evil? Because we're often, we're under the, we're under the ownership of evil people. And as good as someone might be, we're still as, you know, we're still not holy, we're still not good. But if my ownership is to God, that's a good thing. If my ownership is to holy, righteous Father who is always out for my good, that's a good thing. I should desire that. We're all under authority. Right? That's unavoidable. You've got a boss. You've got authority around you. We don't like authority in our time, day and time, but it's unavoidable. We're all under authority. And I'd say we should choose to be under good authority. We have that opportunity to be under good authority. And Peter says, to those who have received a faith the same kind of ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can have faith like the Apostle Peter. Sometimes we put the apostles up on this pedestal and say, wow, the Apostle Paul and Peter, they're just like this next level spiritual supergiant. I could never be like them. But he, Peter actually invites us to have a faith just like him. Peter invites us, You're, I'm no different than you. I'm not better than you. Our faith is about Jesus. It's not about Peter. He says we can have this same level of faith, the same kind of ours. It's not exclusive to the apostles. They've called us, all of us, into this great, great faith. And grace and peace will be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. There we have those terms. We're growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If we want to grow, those are two great terms to really focus on. Growing in grace growing in knowledge. We have to define those. We need to understand what that means to grow in the grace of God, but also in the knowledge of God. Do you know what happens when a community is built on grace? Think of it, I'm learning so much as being a parent. And when my child stumbles and they fall, do you know what I do? I ridicule him for falling. How come you can't get this right? Well, of course I don't do that. Please don't think that I'm being serious. I'm being very sarcastic here. When my child is learning to walk, I keep encouraging them. They'll fall and they stumble and they might knock some things over and they might make a mess. And this, my house is full of encouragement. And I'm graceful. I understand that my child is going to do some things that maybe aren't very smart, 
They might make a mess. They might do some very selfish things along the way. But do I expect any different? My house needs to be full of grace. Sometimes we forget that in the church, don't we? Sometimes we sin. I don't know if anybody has achieved sinless perfection. If you have, maybe raise your hands. We'll need to have a conversation. Don't we understand that? And this is actually another really important aspect about our relationships. Nothing in this world is perfect. Nothing. Your marriage isn't perfect, so stop acting like it is. Your kids aren't perfect. Your parents aren't perfect. Your school isn't perfect. Your job's not perfect. Nothing is perfect. And often what will disappoint us or depress us or put us into maybe a hole will be because we want things to be perfect and they're not. I think we just need to lose that expectation. Nothing's perfect. Nothing. We're gonna, our bodies are gonna fail, relationships will let us down, the church is gonna do things sometimes, there's gonna be, there's just gonna be all types of stuff that happens in our walk with Christ. But what the blessing is, is that we recognize, no, this isn't perfect, but we're being made perfect. We're in a process of growth, of being more perfect every day. And when a challenge comes, when a conflict comes, you know what that is? That's an opportunity. That's an opportunity to extend grace to one another. That's an opportunity to say, God, I live by the grace of God, and even though you've wronged me, I love you. How can I serve you? Can I wash your feet? You see how radical that is when Jesus does that with his disciples? Why Peter won't have anything to do with it. It's absurd to Peter that his Lord would wash his feet. But Jesus says, I'm doing this to set the example. You know I love you. The world will know we are Jesus' disciples by our love for one another. Amen? It's the love of Christ that exists within His people that's the greatest testimony of all. That's the greatest testimony we have is just to love one another. Fervently, passionately, extending grace all the time. Extending favor to all people because we recognize everyone made in the image of God and they deserve that. What does it mean to grow in knowledge? Well, Paul ta- Peter talks about growing in faith and having this precious faith. I think faith, we need to understand, faith is not an intellectual ascent. Knowledge is not just what I believe in my mind. That's not all that faith is. Knowledge in the Bible is deeply relational. Faith is determined by my proximity to Jesus. Because it's a relationship. Because I love my wife, do you know what I do for my wife? I try to serve her all the time. Is it perfect? No, there's times where I'm pretty selfish and I need to ask for my wife's forgiveness. I'm thankful that we have a relationship of grace that we can keep asking for that forgiveness. We can say, honey, you know, I was being really selfish. I got a little bit quick with you. Can, can you forgive me on that? And I'm so thankful that every time my wife says, absolutely, I love you. So relationships are going to be like that. But knowledge, my knowledge of my wife is dependent on the intimacy that I have with my wife. Knowledge of God is all about that intimacy, it's a relational, but it is also intellectual. It's about what we know with our minds. We grow according to what we know, right? Though they're, they're, they cannot be dismissed or disconnected from each other. That growth, searching after that yearning, is built on love and say, Lord, I want to know about you and I want to be whoever you want me to be. I want to keep growing for you. I want to keep yearning after you. Lord, if I don't pray, something's wrong. Like, I have this tension building in me because I haven't been spending time with you. Lord, I need to just quit. I need to cancel some appointments. I need to spend time. I'm just going to devote my time to you right now. And we can also look at something like that and just say, well, it's all individual basis. I just study the Bible by myself. I just do prayer by myself. We need to be doing that as a community together. 
We need to be doing that as God's people. We just get together. Brothers, sisters, let's get together and let's just pray together. Let's just read the Word of God devotionally and say, what does this mean for me? How am I learning about who God is? How is this going to change me? Knowledge, when disconnected from that relationship, becomes all about information. Sermons can just become information dumps. Here's a bunch of stuff. Good luck. See you later. I heard a preacher say, if you preach a sermon and the congregation doesn't do the thing that you've preached about, don't preach another sermon until they do it. Because if you preach a sermon and you say, this is the thing we need to do, and people don't do it, and you just keep preaching on, we're training disobedience. That's not a good thing. That's not a good thing to get in a habit of training disobedience in our lives because God called us to something much greater. How else can we grow? Well, he says that seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. I love that, that God has given us everything. There's nothing else coming. God has given us all that we need. He's given us these great and precious promises. And look at what he says. He says he's granted us these great and precious promises so that you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Our desires often are a hindrance to faith. Our desires are often a hindrance to serving God. Discipline, going back to the professional athlete, if a professional athlete just did whatever they wanted to, they're not going to be a professional athlete for very long. We know This is a skill that we know in every field. You can't just do whatever you want whenever you want it. We need discipline. I need to be able to say no to certain things. If I always just gave my children whatever they wanted, would I be a good parent? Absolutely not. I would be an awful parent because my children often don't know what's best for them. If I gave my child what he wanted every time, all he would eat was french fries and ice cream. That's all he'd want. Maybe I should like, like I give them that as a treat and he gets so excited and I want to give him french fries and ice cream just because I see how excited he is. But I have to have the discipline not to always do that with him. It's not good to always feed him that. Right? But it's a treat. It's fun. But again, I need to have the discipline and because he doesn't know any better, I need to have those, I need to have that in place not to always be giving that to him. And he's given us these great and magnificent promises that we're participants in God. This is the great foundation of our faith, that it's not just sending out and go do, go and live this way. God has promised us, no, I'm inviting you into my very nature. If there's anything about God that confuses you or you don't understand or you don't know why would you ask that, I think a good place to start is say, well, what am I learning about God? Because the only God will never ask us or command us to do anything that doesn't reflect his nature. Why does God tell us not to lie? Because God is a God of truth. Why does God tell us to forgive others? God is forgiving. Everything that we know about who God is, it's a reflection of his nature. And so when we forgive others, I've acted like God. I've learned something about God. I've grown closer to God. When I have released that burden of guilt and power that is shackling me from not forgiving, I'm releasing that. I don't hold that anymore. That's one of the big challenges. When we don't forgive, we're actually giving power to people. We're allowing them to hold something over us. By forgiving them, saying, I'm not going to let you hold that over me. I forgive you. We get to participate in the divine nature. We get to participate in God. What greater promise than there is that? God has called us into this magnificent relationship with Him. And he's with us every step of the way. He's not abandoning us. What great promises. I think it's good to always recognize that we have a 
often we'll listen to these little lies that get spoken to us. We need, we need to remember God's promises in those moments. We need to remember the promises that God has given us that we have life, that He loves us. When you look in the mirror and you hear something saying, you're not perfect, you're hideous, you're overweight, whatever those lies might be, you're not worthy. You don't deserve to be in ministry. You don't deserve to be doing these things. Recognize that those are not, that's not God talking to you. God said you are accepted. I love you. I can forgive you. There's nowhere you've been. There's nothing that you've done that God cannot redeem. That's the power of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? That God has called us into this magnificent relationship and there's nothing that can hold us back when we come to Him? We're going to speed up a little bit. From verse 5, we have, I'd love to go through this list. I would love to spend a lot more time just walking through this list. But we're just going to kind of cruise through it. I'd encourage you to look up these words and start to understand. Because Peter gives us essentially what's called a staircase of faith. Right? If you want to build on your faith, these are attributes that we should always be building on. So in verse 5, he says, For this reason also, applying all diligence... Right? On the basis of what he said before, on the being partakers of the divine nature, apply all diligence. Make every effort in your faith to supply virtue. And in virtue, knowledge. In self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. Church, this is who we need to be. This is the type of people we need to clothe ourselves with. Growing up to be like this. Now let me ask you this. If you just entered a community and you never met them and they were built on this foundation, wouldn't that be a good thing? Isn't that a good thing to enter a community that is full of love and self-control and they're building themselves in the knowledge of God? That's the church. That's the design of God's church and what it should be. Always growing. And notice he doesn't say when you achieve this. Because you know, we're always growing in it. We're always building up to it. We start with faith and we end with love. And he says something magnificent, I think, in verses 8 and 9. If these qualities are yours and increasing, notice, increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, true knowledge is very active. True knowledge isn't about reciting Bible verses, having a bunch of information. There's a part of it we need to be always learning. But true knowledge lives out faith. James says something like that, doesn't he? No, you can say your faith by your words, but how about you show me with some actions? You will never be unfruitful if you are always growing in these areas. And then something very startling in verse 9. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. If you look at your life, I want us to be honest. Look at your life and do you see, are you growing in these areas? If you're not growing in your faith, a great place to start is the cross. Do you get what's been done for you? If we really get it, we'll always be growing. Because now I'm devoted. I'm hopelessly devoted to Jesus Christ when I look at the cross. Because what other option is there? Jesus died for me, shed his blood so that I can have life. Well, doesn't that change everything about your life? Doesn't that change the way you look at everybody that you work with? Doesn't that change your way you look at your family? Doesn't that? It should change everything. It changes your conduct, your attitude, your mental state. It changes everything about who you are and how you live your life. It should change this week for you in your life. If it doesn't change this week, 
you need to go back to the cross and say, why don't I get it? Why don't I get that I've been forgiven? I'm redeemed. I can stand boldly in the presence of God because he's invited me into this presence. What a blessing. What a blessing that I get to experience God personally. The creator of the universe, the almighty God who made the heavens and the earth, has called each and every one of us into this amazing relationship. And he sent his son to die for us. We have reconciliation only through his son. So a great place to always keep remembering and thinking about is remember the cross. That should motivate, transform, and drive us to serve us. It says, and as he continues to say, is you won't stumble if you keep practicing these things. Or sorry, in verse 10 he says, Therefore, brethren, be more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. What greater image is there than thinking of on the day that we die, seeing Jesus come up to us with open arms and say, come into my presence, my faithful child. What greater, what greater, what, what, what's greater than that? And you know, on the contrast to that, I can't think of anything more horrifying than to be coming towards Jesus and here, depart from me. I don't know you. And those are the choices that we have before us. And Jesus desires, yearns, longs for us to be accepted into his presence with open arms. Jesus has open arms for you today. Jesus is calling you to come into his embrace so that he can love you, care for you, and be built up by him. One more thing. I wasn't going to talk about this, but I had a great conversation with, with Jay and Linda last night, and they encouraged me. We kind of got talking to this, and it came up. This is one of those things that I always forget. Some of you know this. Not everyone knows this. Um, but it came up in the middle midst of a conversation. I talked about my time in prison and kind of kept going, and we kept talking, and they said, wait, what? Oh, yeah, well, when I was in, when I was in prison. It's like, sorry, sorry well, can, you, can you back up for a second? That actually happens to me quite a bit. I just assume everybody knows that. I've talked about it in Waterloo. I've spoken at retreats. Actually, a lot of the youth would know about that because I spoke about that, was it four years ago at the ski retreat? I think it was about four years ago. But I've spoken about it, and so I just, I make a fault. This is one, remember I said, don't make faulty assumptions. This is a faulty assumption on my part. I assume people know about that. So what happened with me was as I grew, I grew up in the church, I grew up in the Edmonton Church of Christ. I was baptized there when I was a teenager. I became very involved in, I wanted to be popular. I wanted to be popular and I sought after all the things that this world has to offer. I started partying. I started getting involved in things that I shouldn't have been involved in. That led to a deep desire for me. I wanted money. I thought money was the, would solve all of my problems. And if I had lots of money, that would just make things better. Well, as a 20-year-old kid, there's not a lot of options to make lots of money, in my mind, outside of maybe doing something illegal. And I had friends that were doing that, and I was watching them have a brand new car, brand new bike, and I was jealous. I was envious. I said, I want those things. And my moral compass slowly evaporated. So I started small. I started selling drugs. I started getting involved in this kind of life. Give it a few years fast forward, I'm in the deep end. I don't even know how I got there. I was led astray step by step until I was much further into it than I had ever imagined. I ended up getting arrested in Saskatoon. I had moved out to Saskatoon. I had this vision of taking over the province of Saskatchewan. And I was moving in to sell drugs and do awful things. And we moved in to the province. And about a year of doing that, the government came in and they kicked in the door. And 
I was taken away by the SWAT team. They came in and took me away and arrested me. That began a process for me when I was arrested and I got released a few weeks later where I got released to my parents' home on Vancouver Island and it gave me two years before I was sentenced. I didn't know it was going to be two years at the time, but it gave me a process of just starting to wonder what have I been doing with my life. I started reading the Bible. I started praying. I started reading even atheist literature. And the one thing that stood out to me from the atheist books I read was that they were full of, they were, the pages that I read were full of hate. And I had recognized that's a world I left. I want nothing to do with that. And so I came back to Christ. Christ searched out me, found me, and saved my life again. Built up by Jesus, I remember confessing in front of the church, and this was a, just a pure act of the Holy Spirit who took over me one evening and essentially told me I needed to tell everybody about everything that goes on. I didn't tell anybody anything up to this point. I learned the power and value of confession one day and how redeeming that can be and healing. Paul ta- or James talks about the power of confession. It heals us. It's a good thing. It's good for our souls to confess what's going on. And that's true for all of us. Because again, remember I asked about who's achieved sinless perfection? Well, no one's going to raise their hand, so it sounds like we've all got sins to confess, if you ask me. So, again, we've got opportunities to build relationships with our brothers and sisters. Say, I, I need forgiveness. I'm going to confess something to you. And can we pray about that? I need accountability. Can you help me walk through this? So I end up confessing everything in front of a church, and I remember just crying, and everybody was... I think I had this idea that everyone was going to be really judgmental, and I didn't know really what was going to happen. But I was just met with tears and hugs, and we sang, and they prayed over me, and it was a really beautiful moment. I wasn't expecting that, but it turned out to be that. And that ended up being the best week of my life afterwards. I felt like the guilt that had started to crush me was instantly gone. It was gone. And that's because I confessed my sins. I said, Jesus, my life belongs to you. I'm back. I want to do whatever you want me to do. And that guilt had just it had evaporated. It was gone. What an incredible time for me that that started building me up. And then I went, I had to go to prison. I spent about a year in prison at Saskatchewan Penitentiary. I went in with the attitude of, God, I'm going to be a light. And whatever you lead me to, I'm just, I'm, help me be ready for that. Didn't know much about the Bible. I just started reading it again. I went in with the Bible and said, I'm going to hold it wherever I go. Well, that led to guys asking me, hey, what are you doing? And I would ask them, you know, I'm not a part of what I used to be. I've given my life to Jesus. He's changed my life. I read the Bible every day. And I just, that's, that's all I could say. That led to a Bible study that someone else actually recommended me to do. Like, I don't want this to make it sound like this is about me because it's not. I was very hesitant to do this, but I watched God open doors and I watched the Holy Spirit work in guys' lives. It started out from a Bible study from a few guys on a unit, which it led to about nine of the ten guys on the unit. Three of those guys got baptized, and then they let me do studies across the units in other areas of the prison, which is unheard of. You don't allow inmates to move from different units. But they saw what was going on. Guys started calling me Pastor Paul. They started asking me to pray for them. And I was watching God at work in people's lives in one of the darkest places you'll be. I watched guys who had murdered other people, who had done awful things, crying to one another, saying, I've made a complete mess of my life. You know, crying about the relationships they've broken, crying about the crimes they committed. And do you know why that happened? Because Jesus Christ got to them. That's what Jesus does. And it wasn't a place of complete guilt. It was this also, I think there's hope for me. That was the biggest point for me when I was reading through the Old Testament, reading through all these figures of the Old Testament, Moses and David and these prophets who did some pretty awful things. And the thing that stood out to me was about that was maybe there's hope for me. If God can use them, maybe he can use me. God can use every single one of us if we get what's been done for us. 
if we get the power of the gospel released in our lives, if we get the power of the Holy Spirit released in our lives, God will do unbelievable things in all of our lives. God is a God of the impossible. God is the God of the impossible. There's nothing that He cannot do in our lives. There's no stronghold that He can't overcome. And we're often full of fear. We're often full of reasons why we can't do things. We think that the walls of Jericho are too big. We think the land is too full of giants. We think that Goliath is too big in our lives. And the story again and again from God is, if you trust me, I've got this. I've got your back. I will win your battles for you. That's what God has done in my life. The fact that I stand here today with two children, married, president of a Bible college. How did that happen? I work with the church. How did that happen? The power of God can do that. The power of God can do that. I think we're going to end with a, with a song. So let's maybe stand and sing our, our final hymn.